Well, good morning, family. Jesus valued prayer. It's evident by His example. He demonstrated it for us all through His life in the priority and the importance that He put on prayer during His ministry. So it really shouldn't be a surprise for us that the Scriptures call for you and me as Jesus' followers to be people of prayer. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he told them to pray continually. We're to be a people who pray throughout the New Testament. A century ago, a pastor and author named Samuel Chadwick said it quite well. He said, the concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless works, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. We see in the pages of Scripture that the church was powerful when they prayed. And so when Jesus says, as He does here in Matthew 6, this this then is how you should pray, our ears ought to perk up a little and our curiosity ought to be stirred. We have the one who puts such a priority on prayer, the Son of God. If anyone didn't need to pray, we would think it would be Him. Yet He's the one who prayed so faithfully. If He thought it was so important, then certainly we ought to as well. And when He teaches us how it ought to be done, we need to listen Today we come to the midpoint of our study of the Lord's Prayer. We, we began a few weeks ago. There are six prayer requests in the Lord's Prayer, and today we come to the fourth one of those. But before we dig into the study, I'd like for us to once again to say the prayer together. So if you would, let's say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We've noted in the past weeks that the first three requests focus on God. Now as we come to the fourth request in verse 11, we start to pray about us. Give us this day our daily bread. God, give us bread. Straightforward enough. It's safe to say here as we look at this that Bread extends to more than just 
literal bread. It really implies everything that is needed for existence. Food, water, shelter, clothes. In other words, we could paraphrase it, God give us today what we need to live today. This prayer seems perhaps important for people in a place like Timor-Leste in Asia. By the experts, they say this is the most hungry place in the world. Or perhaps in parts of India or Haiti or famine-ravaged areas of Africa. It would seem appropriate in such places to pray, give us our daily bread. But living here in the United States, in Lake St. Louis or St. Charles County, Missouri, where basically any grocery store we go into, the shelves look like this. And pretty much any one of us could go into a store and if we've raided our pet piggy bank or perhaps just with what's already in our pockets, we could buy off the shelves more than we could possibly eat in a week. Few, if any of us, have ever really known a time when we literally did not know where our next meal would come from. A time when there was truly nothing to eat and no idea where the next time or next meal would come. We live in the land of obesity where the people who need to lose weight far outnumber those who lack adequate food. So why pray for daily bread when we have all that we need and more in abundance. Perhaps this request doesn't really apply to us. Perhaps we've come to a request here in the Lord's Prayer that we can just skip over. We can shorten it from six requests down to five. Save a little time. But I believe I've studied this prayer and this request that this is a truly a one-size-fits-all prayer request. It is every bit as fitting for the person who is living in utter poverty, but also for those of us who live in the land of excess, the land of plus sizes and extra-large where we shop in the deep and wide clothing section. It's one size fits all. In fact, the more I studied this again this week, the more I believe this request is perhaps most necessary for those of us who live in abundance. To that end, as we look at this request this morning, I want to draw our attention to Four key concepts that I believe are embedded in this little request. Four concepts that we could also call attitudes that I believe this prayer request is designed to instill into you and me when we pray this prayer. Give us this day 
our daily bread. The first of these concepts, the first of these attitudes, I think that this prayer is designed to instill, I find in the very first word of this request, give. It's really the language of a beggar. Have you ever been out of the country in some place where you are surrounded by beggars? Give! Give me! Give me food! Give me money! Sir, sir, please, give me, give me. It's the language here of a beggar. Give. God is the one whom we address as the giver, and we come as the one saying to give. And, and we're, we're, the beggar is asking for something that they need desperately to survive. That's the concept here. What I want to call our attention to first is this concept of dependence, an attitude of dependence. This request is, is calling for you and me to humbly own up to the fact and admit the fact that we are in desperate need. It's a recognition, a confession, a declaration that we cannot, I cannot provide what I need to survive. It's really a very un-American prayer request. Because the whole American concept is self-sufficiency and independence, not dependence. We don't want to be dependent on anyone else, whether it's the government or another person. We don't want to be dependent on them. We want to carry our own weight, shoulder our own burden here. We want to make it ourselves and foot our own bill and bear our own cost. And so it's, you know, to admit and to say to God, well, we can't do it. That's not American. But it's truth. You see, we are totally dependent upon God for His provision. It is ultimately He who supplies for us, but we have a tendency to credit ourselves. Yeah, I provide for myself. I got up and I went to work and I worked hard and I earned a paycheck and I put it in the bank and now I've got money to buy food. I did it. We see ourselves as independent of God because we can do it ourselves. Thank you, God, but I got this covered. Moses corrected that wrong thinking with the Israelites back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8 where he addresses the people and he says, and you remember in Deuteronomy, the nation is preparing to go into the land of Israel. They've they came out of Egypt. They spent 40 years in the wilderness because of lack of faith and disobedience. Now a new generation is preparing to go into the land. And before they do, Moses takes them aside and sits them down. And he says, now I've got some things to tell you. And he goes over the law again. But he sits down in chapter 8 and he says, there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day when you have, have finished dinner. And you're sitting there, you are full as you can be. You know how it is after a big meal and you're sitting there. And he's saying you're going to be sitting there in your nice, beautiful home that you've built. And as you're laying back in your lazy boy recliner, you're going to be tempted to say, Deuteronomy chapter 8, 
My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms the covenant which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. All that we have comes from God's hand. Yes, we create and we work, we labor, but we are not self-made people. It is God who provides the intellect for us to dream and create and to think and to plan. It is God who puts the strength into our arms and our hands and our legs for us to labor. It is God who puts the air in our lungs that we breathe. It is God who who makes our hearts pump the blood that carries the oxygen to our muscles so that they can work and move. And if God for just a second or two stops keeping our heart beating or our lungs pumping air, we keel over and die. Because not a one of us sits here and thinks, heart beat, 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 beat. Beat, 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 beat. And when we're thinking about the heart, we forget the lungs. <gasps> we, we don't do that. God does it. How foolish we are to think that we can do it ourselves. It is God who gives even the opportunities as we, we have the strength and we have the, the mind, but God provides the opportunities for us to work and to invest and to prosper. So... We have to humbly admit our dependence upon God. Secondly, since everything we have comes to us by God's grace, He deserves a grateful response that this dependence demands gratitude. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses, as he addresses the people, he reminds the Israelites of this and he says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. And be careful that you do not forget the Lord. He reminds them because there's a propensity, there's a tendency for you and me to forget the Lord. Which is why again and again and again, as you read through the Scriptures, you find the Scriptures encouraging us and calling us and commanding us to give thanks to the Lord. Be thankful. Give thanks. Because we tend to forget. This dependence upon the Lord not only requires us to humbly admit our need and to be thankful and grateful for God's provision but it also calls for us to recognize our accountability. Because if God has supplied every need and given to us every blessing by His grace, then we do not have exclusive right to determine what we want to do and how we use everything we have. It comes from God. Because of that, there is a stewardship and accountability. We recognize that what we have really isn't just a gift, it's, it's, a, it's a trust, a stewardship, a, um, it's a loan, something He puts into our care. In other words, the question we should ask once we acknowledge that all we have comes from Him, the question we should ask is, God, what would you have me to do with what you have given me? 
To put it in another way, in the context of the prayer, if we really mean what we prayed at the first half of the prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. If we really mean that from our heart, then it only logically follows that when we pray, give us today our daily bread. That when He does that, when He provides the daily bread, the next thing should be, okay, Father, how do we use this bread in order to honor Your name? In order to advance Your kingdom? In order to do Your will? Whether it's physical bread that we eat that gives us strength, how do I use my strength to honor You and to advance the kingdom and do Your will? Or whether it's other resources, how do I use my money, my time, my talents, my, you know, whatever for those purposes? You see, if this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is really a It's a dedication that whatever resources we receive, whatever supply we receive from God, we dedicate it, we intend to use it to accomplish His will, advance His kingdom, declare His glory. There's a second concept here as we move on past dependence. And I find it in those, the next word actually, the word us and the word our We noted a few weeks ago that in this prayer there are no singular personal pronouns. The personal pronouns are not I, me, my. The pronouns are our, ours, and us. The second concept in this prayer, the second attitude I think God wants to develop in us as we pray this way is this attitude of community. That there is a corporate concern when we pray When we pray, it is not all about me and my. When we pray, it is about you and yours and us. How we tend to not only skip past focusing on God as the first half of this prayer does, and we jump right to us, we skip past us and we go to me. That's how we often pray. God help me. He says, Give us this day. We are connected to one another. We are to be praying for one another as family, as not only nuclear family, our, our, our family by blood relation, but our family by the blood of Christ, our family of church. Not only for those who are in this local assembly, but for our brothers and sisters around the world those with whom we partner in ministry around the world, we should be lifting them all up in prayer. So the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he said, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Our prayer, Jesus is teaching in this model prayer, Our prayer is a corporate concern, even more than it is a personal concern. But in this aspect of community, not only is it a corporate concern, but I see that it is also an issue of generosity. 
See, because something amazing might happen if we start praying for one another more than we pray for ourselves. If we pray, Father, give us our daily bread. Meet our daily needs. And as God begins to meet our needs, and I'm praying though not just for my need, I'm praying for yours, what I discover is one day it just might have one of those aha moments. Huh. I have everything I need. Matter of fact, I could buy food for the next 30 years. But I look over at you and I'm praying for you to have food because you have no food. And the aha moment might be, huh, I have 30 years worth of food and you have none. Just maybe God has given me this so that I can be the answer for your prayer. Who would have thought that? If all we do is pray for I, me, and my, we would never think that. When our focus is our and us, it becomes vividly clear. How can I live in abundance if you, my brother, you, my sister, have need? That's why Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He's writing to the Corinthians about an offering that they're going to be taking up to send to folks who are in need. He's going to be coming by, picking it up, and delivering it to those who are in need in Jerusalem. But he says, God is going to give you the ability to give so that when you give, Everybody, you, me, and the folks in Jerusalem are all going to give praise to God. Why does God bless us? So that we can bless others. Give us this day our daily bread. What a joy that is. R.G. Letourneau was a man who believed this truth. R.G. Letourneau, you may not know the name, but he was a great inventor and entrepreneur of the 20th century. Also a strong, devout Christian He was a guy, by the way, that uh, designed and built the first offshore oil rig, among many other things, to his uh, inventive genius. R.G. Letourneau was, from the beginning as a believer, was one who wanted to give and give generously. And he continued to give more and more, not just in amounts as he got more, but to give more percentage where most of us think that we're giving a lot if we give 10% and live on 90% he found himself giving 90% and living on 10%. R.G. Letourneau said this, he said, I shovel money out and God shovels it back, but God uses a bigger shovel. (laughs) See, he understood that there is great joy in being used by God as an instrument to bless others in taking what God blesses us with and and as much as we can to shovel it back out. That's what Paul was telling the Corinthians. There's a third concept here. In this give us this day our daily bread, there's dependence there. There's community. The third concept I see in those little words, this day and daily. And I think the concept that and the attitude that he wants to develop in us with this is confidence, rest, trust in God. I notice that this prayer, you see, is a daily prayer. Daily. 
Give us today what we need for today. God wants us praying daily. To have a daily relationship of trust. Not the way that we so often pray, which is when we think about it, and when we think about it is when the crisis hits. So we can go days or weeks without praying when, oh no, the bill just came and I don't have the money. Oh no, I have a test tomorrow. I forgot to study. Oh no, you know, in the the next crisis. And so here we come, oh God, with fervent prayer until the crisis is over. But he doesn't say pray when the crisis comes. He says, give us this day our daily bread. God made us. He knows us. He's concerned about our needs. But He calls for us to come to Him daily. Later, Jesus says in the same chapter, and it's later in the same sermon, you recall this where Jesus is teaching us how to pray is right in the middle of what is commonly called one, the, the Sermon on the Mount. One sermon that goes from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. And this is right in the middle. It, later in chapter 6, Jesus is talking about this very issue of worry and concern. And Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you, have, that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The point is, Jesus is saying, Everybody who doesn't know me is out there chasing bread. They're chasing the dollar. They're chasing the stuff. He says, but you know me. And I know what you need. I'm your Father. He doesn't want us to come looking for the stuff. He wants us to come daily to Him. And we seek Him first. And His kingdom and His righteousness, the stuff comes. It's a daily prayer. And I notice it's not only a daily prayer, it's for a daily supply, for a day's supply. It's not a request for God to meet needs that we haven't, that haven't come up yet. It's asking God for what we need today, this day. Or if it's at night, for the next day. It's the same day in a Jewish thinking. There's no Sam's Club bulk prayer here. You know how it is when you go to Sam's Club. Everything comes in the 18 to you know 4,000 pack. It's however much you need for a month or two. That's what you get there. It's not pray up for a month or pray up for even a week. It's pray up for this day. As Jesus, in again in Matthew 6, I guess pick up where I left off a minute ago, at the end of this chapter, Jesus said, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Or the way the NIV translates that, each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough. Okay? So you pray for today. Lord, meet my need today. Oh, how we want to keep worrying about tomorrow, though, and the next day, and the next day. Some of you need to memorize this verse. It's not very long. 
need. Quote it to yourself often. But not only is it a daily prayer and a day's supply, I think that what is also here is a a daily joy. You see, the more that we, we faithfully bring to God every day our daily need, even when the need is supplied out of the bank account that He's allowed you to build, we're aware that every day our daily need is met by our good, faithful, gracious God. And it's not bet, it's not met by my excellent planning and forethought and my great power and all those things where Moses said we're going to forget God. See? I'm remembering. Two weeks ago I was out of the foyer talking with one of our dear sisters. She was describing the joy of living with limited means. As she was talking, it took me back to some of the days when my wife and I were young and we didn't have a whole lot. And you know, there are times I miss that exactly because of what our sister was saying two weeks ago. She said, there are frequent times That the needs that come to me are upon me are bigger than my resources. And I don't know what to do except to do what God says. She says, I don't talk to other people. I just pray. And she says, I am always blown away by always at the right time in some unforeseen, some way I would have never thought of. The need is met exactly what I needed. It comes in. It's done. And what happens is there is joy and such a thrill. God is to see God continually and faithfully supply what is needed. And what that produces is not only joy, but it produces then a growing trust. Many Christians are in bondage to worry. Some of you may be this morning. If you are, you know it can be crippling. This prayer, I think, is designed in part to teach us to trust God. To trust Him to meet our needs instead of worrying. Because as He will say later in this chapter, what good does worrying do you? It can't accomplish anything. We rest in God's power to supply If God created everything from nothing as we saw back in Genesis, if God could take care of over two million Israelites for over 40 years in the desert, feeding them, getting them water, clothing them, taking care of them, don't you think He can take care of you? Yes, He can. We rest not only in His power and ability to supply, but we rest in His willingness to supply. We address Him at the beginning of this prayer as Father. And He's a good dad. The next chapter, later in the sermon, chapter 7, verse 10, Jesus says, Which of you, speaking to the dads there, if, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? When I read the verse, I thought about it. I thought, you know, I know a couple of guys who would do that. Just because they're jokers. But not in reality. 
any good dad when your son is really hungry and he says, I'm starving, can you give me something to eat? And he really is starving, not like our kids say they are. Any good dad is going to take the food that you are going to eat for your last little bit and you're going to give it to your son. That's what a good dad does. And Jesus says that's the point. If you, being sinful, fallible dads, know how to give good gifts to your children, don't you think your heavenly Father will meet your need as well, he says. So we rest in God's power to supply and in His willingness to supply. We also rest in His promise to supply. Again, as Jesus said, we already read it in Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things, not might, not maybe, all these things will be added to you. If we get our priorities straight, we put God first, we seek Him first, He takes care of the rest. But we're in a culture that values security, treasures security, so we insure everything. We insure the house. We insure the car. We insure our life. We insure our health. We insure our jewelry. We insure our, uh, you know, what am I leaving out? Our boat. We insure, you know, whatever it is, we got insurance on it. And we make sure that our insurance covers all the bases, that it covers theft and that it covers flood and that it covers earthquakes and that it covers wind and that it covers, you know, and we go down the list because cover everything. But just in case we miss something, we get an umbrella policy. Right? And then what do we do? We still worry. Because we're putting our trust in the wrong place. The point of this prayer request, I believe, is sending us every day to the only one who can give us rest. To the only place where there is real security. Father, give us this day our daily bread. It's to teach us here can, that there is we can, we, we can trust Him there's a fourth concept, and I'll be quick, fourth attitude that Jesus wants us to learn as we pray in this way. And that is, I find it in that last little word, our daily bread. And I notice that it's daily bread, not our daily dessert. Did you notice that? Not our daily donut. Not our daily cake. What he wants us to learn is contentment. And it's contentment that just needs the basics. I don't think that this prohibits us from praying for other things beyond our basic needs. But as Jesus is teaching us in this model prayer, he puts the focus where the focus needs to be. And the focus needs to be first on Him and then on our needs so that we can keep our focus on Him. Our focus, as someone once said, is on our needs, not our greeds. There's value in that. As the book of Proverbs puts it, Proverbs chapter 30, King Lemuel, in a prayer, he says to the Lord, Give me neither poverty nor riches but give me only my daily bread. 
Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? He sounds like Moses when you get there fat and happy and sitting in your lazy boy and you forget God. So I don't want to be that. But I need my needs met so that I don't get desperate and steal. Next verse. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my Lord. Give me just enough. The problem is we have a tendency to come to God with our wish list of all the things that we think we want. The things that we think are going to make us happier. That we think will make us healthier. The things that we think will make us more fulfilled. But we do better to learn contentment with what God has given us rather than being focused on what we don't have. That's why he says the focus here is on our needs, not on our wish lists. Because the focus is directing us to be contented with what he's given rather than what we don't have. First Timothy says it this way, First Timothy chapter six, verse six says, But godly with not godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing with that, with these, we will be content. Just the basics. And with that we can be content. And that is great gain when that's accompanied with godliness. But one last point. This contentment isn't just about just the basics. But I think a big part of having contentment is learning to truly enjoy what we already have. This contentment involves in not just the basics, but enjoyment of what we have. How do I know that God wants us to enjoy what we have? Well, the Bible tells us. Again, in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything, get this, for our enjoyment. And by the way, when it says He richly provides us with everything, doesn't mean He gives us everything we could have. Doesn't mean you're going to get a yacht. And, you know, whatever. What it means is that everything He provides us, He does so for our enjoyment. God desires for us to receive what He has richly given to us by His grace, to receive it with enjoyment. He has given to us life. He has placed us into a world that He created for us to enjoy. He has made you and me with senses to interact with and enjoy this world that He created. Eyes that can see colors, a myriad of colors. Eyes that can take in visual beauty. He's given to us a sense of smell to take in wonderful aromas of the lunch that you're thinking about right now. He's given to us taste so that we can savor and those delectable things that we're going to eat in a few minutes. He's given to us the sense of touch so that we can enjoy the different textures 
so we can feel the warmth of sun, the warm touch of someone that we love. He's given us hearing so that we can hear the beauty of music. He's given to us hearing so we can hear the voice of a dear friend. You and I miss out on blessings. We miss out on joy. We miss out on fulfillment. We miss out on satisfaction. We even miss out on opportunities to worship every single day by the score because we simply have gone blind and nose blind and ear blind and touch blind and taste blind to the all the blessings that surround us. All those little things that we take for granted. Sometimes we need little kids to help open our eyes and ears to those things we take for granted. But we don't have to have little kids. We can do it ourselves. We just have to start noticing. As people who love God, we should be people who joyfully take pleasure in the abundance of wonderful gifts that are around us all the time that we just take for granted. Quite frankly, because so much of the time we're looking for something else instead of enjoying what we have. There's a project for us this week. Let's start noticing more things. At lunch today, when you eat your daily bread, instead of just eating it, savor it. Mm, that's good. That's really good. I wonder, is that, is that what, what's that extra little flavor there? Do you ever do that? No, we just gobble it down. Maybe we savor it a little bit. And then you go, wow, Father, look at all this bread. Look at this. This is really good bread. Thank you. And you gave me taste. I really don't have never thanked you for the sense of taste. Thank you for that. See, turn it back to worship. I have a feeling it will transform our worship. It will transform our attitude. It will transform our prayer if we keep these things in mind even this week, as we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Father, forgive us for so often being focused on ourselves, taking things for granted, looking for more, coming to You with a laundry list of what we want, instead of recognizing, appreciating, enjoying what You've already given Forgive us, Father, for forgetting our dependence upon You, being proud, boasting of our own accomplishments instead of giving You the credit that You are due, the honor that You are due. Father, forgive us for worrying rather than praying, for trying to take things into our own hand rather than Trusting You and depending upon You. So many lessons in this little verse. Father, may this week, may it change how we pray. 
May we be faithful this week to come to You, our dear Father, and to ask You to give us this day our daily bread. In Jesus' name we ask it.